Welcome to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, and this podcast is your guide to start creating a lifestyle by design. From entrepreneurship, money and finance, taxes and residencies, and everything in between, this show highlights the nuances of a true global citizen lifestyle. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, aka Nomad Neeks. And in today's episode, I am so, so no joke. I truly am excited to have Kayla on the podcast. Kayla, like me, has been a digital nomad for years. She has been in the game for a while. So if you are looking for an episode from a seasoned nomad who has a book, coming out. Yes, a book literally titled How to Be a Digital Nomad. It'll be out in January of 2024. This is the episode for you if you're looking to get started or just sustain your nomad lifestyle. In this episode, we talked about so many things, but in particular, we talked about how to sustain a nomad lifestyle. She has been a freelancer for years, which we dive into, and she has clearly made a successful freelance business for herself. So we dive into the ins and outs of that. So Kayla herself bought a one-way ticket out of the US in 2017 and since then has spent most of her time abroad. She was pushed by the feeling that life was passing her by at her nine to five as many other digital nomads feel and she found work online, fumbling her way through an attempt at executing the exact lifestyle that she wanted. She has now become a writer for publications like HubSpot and GoDaddy, and as I said, she's built her online business that now supports both her and her husband as they travel full-time living out of a suitcase around the world. This is a conversation you do not want to miss. It was so fun talking to Kayla and talking about all things work, wealth, and travel. So let's dive right into it. Kayla, welcome to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. I'm so excited to have you on today. A fellow digital nomad who has been in the digital nomad game for quite a while. So I'm really looking forward to speaking to you and hearing your expertise as a digital nomad, how you have monetized this lifestyle, what that has looked like for you. So share a little bit more about your journey, your story, what that has looked like, and how you got to where you are today. Hey, Nicole, I'm so happy to be here. And this has been six years in the making. Six years ago, I was living in Chicago and I had like a good job and I loved my apartment. I loved my life, but I just felt I wanted to travel and I was in my early 20s. So I felt like if I don't have time now, it's never going to get easier. My career will become more demanding. I will have a family maybe or home or like a pet or like (laughs) or have plants that will die with that. Like I will never be less. I'll never be less detached than I am now. And I can't seem to make time. And I discovered van life people on Instagram. And then that kind of like cracked open this door of people living alternative lifestyles that allowed them to travel more. And I just became obsessed. I started listening to like every podcast that existed on digital nomadism, which I love. I feel like your podcast, you'll never know how many people you inspired to go for it. And I know because I was one of those people years ago listening to podcasts like 
hanging on every word thinking, oh, I have no experience. How could I possibly do this? No, I was so nervous and scared. and I didn't know what I was doing. But knowing that I got so much inspiration, I kept hearing no one regrets travel. And I really like had to convince, like really just trust and believe that. And I bought a one-way ticket to Mexico and I ended up going south through to Peru overland for six months. And then I moved to the Netherlands. I met my husband in Guatemala on that trip. And then I moved to his country of the Netherlands. And we used Netherlands as a home base to travel for another five years. Uh, now we're, both, we're fully nomadic. We got rid of our apartment five months ago and we're just drifting around the world right now. So it's kind of coming full circle back to that total detachment and freeform living. But now yeah, with a lot more know-how, <laughs> with a lot with six years of experience to back it up. That's so cool. I love your story. And I love how you mentioned the podcast because I did the exact same thing. And I think we all do when we're starting this journey. For me, it was I was living in China for four years, but then I got locked out because of COVID. And I was like going on the walks in my hometown in Canada, oh. like listening to the podcast. And I was like, OK, once the world opens up again, then this is going to happen. But tell me a little bit about your business and what that has looked like and how you make money from the road. This is a question everyone wants to know as oh, a digital yeah. nomad. This is the question I personally and I'm sure you as well get asked the most, how do I make money living this lifestyle? So what does that look like for you? I have my own online business, but really if it, I'm still, I'm a freelancer. I'm a freelance writer and I'm a huge advocate for freelancing. It offers so much freedom. And it didn't always feel that way because whenever I started six years ago, I also started freelance writing. Well, I had already like some experience and I got back into that to make money again. And I had such a bad experience. I said, freelancing is not for me. I'm never going to freelance right again. This is miserable. I did not have a good time. And then I kind of had to got forced back into it. That's maybe the wrong word. But uh, the door was opened up for me again during the pandemic because I needed a new way of making money. I went through a big, we all, I don't think there's anyone who didn't go through big life changes during the pandemic, especially travelers and especially people who work online. So much changed. And I got back into freelancing and now I I, I really thought it wasn't for me. And I say that because I want people to know if you've tried it and it didn't feel good or work out, uh, you might just need to give it another try. You might need to be like, I know I'm a better person now because I'm older. I, I have some experience. I'm not desperate anymore. I used to be very desperate. And uh, I think we all are whenever we want to travel and we think, I don't care what job I get. I would do anything as long as I could travel. And it's good to have that like zest. But at some point, it's OK if like that first job you get. It's just your foot in the door or into the online world. Um, so I say that to offer some encouragement. But yeah, to this day, I'm a freelance writer. Uh, I just wrote a book as well. So I have that coming out. And I do kind of a mix of things still, like some graphic design for clients. And I, it's kind of just, a, like, it's hard to describe in a way. But if you, anyone who also freelances knows that it kind of spirals this way, <laughs> where it's like many things that you deliver to clients. And as long as clients are happy and the invoices are being paid, it's all good. You don't need to kind of have it all like in a business plan thing, you know, like so structured. Okay, so I want to I definitely want to dive into more about what that journey has looked like for you and how you have built up because you have quite a few accolades to your name. But before we dive into all of that, I want to talk about why initially freelancing was not for you and what that hesitation looks like, because I think a lot of people are probably going through the same thing. So can you share a little bit more about what that looked like and how that unfolded for you? I was not having a great time freelancing in 2017 because I was freelancing for one client and it was like Monday to Friday. I would wake up and it was like an online magazine and they would give me four article assignments in the morning and I would write them by noon and then I would be gone and I would be free for the day. 
So it wasn't a lot of work, but the assignments were, I don't know, didn't align with my values. For example, they would ask me to paraphrase very complicated news headlines. They would pretty much send me like, hey, this is a news article from a a local newspaper. We want a version of it on our site. And I'm like, pulling the documents i'm like trying to actually come up with an original article but they in that they were all about 300 words so they were very short it didn't align with my values to be taking like very complicated like local tax policy and boiling that down into 300 words whenever i was not an expert in that i did quit that after a few months and i just took on some kind of ad hoc freelance jobs but what really worked for me was reaching out to my network eventually and saying you know i think i'm ready to take on like Whenever I got back into the freelancing game, I think I reached out to people on posted on LinkedIn and I said, I'm, you know, I'm looking for clients. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm good at. And I, in that gap between writing for that online magazine and starting to freelance seriously in 2020, I was writing for myself. So I was improving. I was getting results for my own website as a blogger. I was writing for the people. I was guest posting. I was getting experience and recommendations. And that was really foundational. That was like my little incubator time where I came out confident with better skills and I understood the industry more. At that time benefited me a lot. You don't have to do it for two years, but you you can go through like radical growth that changes everything about the way freelancing feels, how much it pays the people who want to work with you. It is so not set in stone. I almost think it's like Airbnb. Like you can literally find an Airbnb that's just somebody's yard. And it's like, yeah, you could pitch a tent out there. And then you can find like a yacht in the Mediterranean. And I think freelancing is just as dive, like wide of a spectrum. I love that you mentioned that to begin with, because what I always say and what I realized a few years into my journey was that I grew something working with clients doing marketing. And it was something I was good at, but it wasn't something that I loved. And I didn't make that connection in my initial phase as a nomad. And so now, and I've talked about it on the podcast before, what I like to tell people is because, you know, when you're starting, you're right, you just want the money. And it's very easy if the money's there to take it. And you can do that, but don't grow something in that area, even if you are good at it, because if you're not passionate about it, then in the long term, it's not going to amount to anything. And it took me a few years to realize that and then kind of have a pivot. And now what I'm doing now with this podcast and with talking about being a digital nomad and all the things that I love talking about, this is what I'm passionate about. But it's not always as clear cut in the beginning. So sometimes you just have to do everything, figure out what works. But like, what's the saying? It's fail fast or something along those lines, like figure it out quickly because you don't want to waste, you know, years of your life building something only to be like, oh no, I built the wrong thing. Yes. I think a lot of people go through that too. It's very hard to feel confident in the beginning. I've heard so many podcast interviews with guests who have said like, I built a business and realized I didn't like it anymore. And I'm those skills will come with you. And then your next business is going to start up a lot more quickly, but it's nice to be on the right you know, to be checking the map. That's what I, I use that like metaphor a lot, like check the map of where you're going. Don't just like run down the ro- wrong road and not, you know, check for directions. Yep, totally. And you heard it from both of us if you're listening. So check the damn map. <laughs> Don't just start blindly. All right. So let's dive into what you do now, how you became an expert in blogging, in freelance writing. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your book and what that journey, I mean, writing a book is not an easy thing to do, where that started, what that journey has looked like for you. But share with us a little bit more about how you really became an expert in blogging. I started blogging for myself 
in 2018, I started my website writingfromnowhere.com in a hostel in London. I'm kind of on a whim. I just knew I wanted something. I wanted to build something for myself. I didn't know what. I didn't know. I knew I knew nothing except that I wanted to do something. And I just took action. I bought that website name. I built a website and I ended up blogging for myself for about two years. And I wasn't really seeing it as like, a, I don't know, like a leading the way into a business. But I just thought I want to learn and I want to find out what I want to do with my life. And I started writing. It was an eco blog in the beginning, talking about like environmental living, very different topic. And then I started writing about travel a little bit, digital nomadism. And it was all very, it was very all over the place. This isn't one of those stories. And in six months, I made $1,000 passive income. I still haven't made $1,000 passive income. <laughs> I don't think that is it's not that kind of blog success story but i did learn seo and then people started asking me for help like with seo and pinterest pinterest was a really big part of my business uh, for like four years where people would ask me help on how to drive website traffic using pinterest and i had been doing that for years so i knew how to do it and then i started doing that service for other people and that kind of got me back into the freelancing world and whenever someone literally they sent me a message on facebook and said hey i saw you answering questions about pinterest marketing could I pay you to run my account? They sent me that message point blank. And I thought, I can't say no to this. I need to make money online. I need to figure this out. So I did that for four years and it was really, and while I did that, I also built uh, the freelance writing side as well. And I started writing. But same thing, people asked me, hey, can we hire you to write some articles? And now I've been, now I'm a freelance writer for GoDaddy and HubSpot. And uh, at the moment, I'm one of LinkedIn's top SEO voices, but I know that I'll probably go away at some point. Those are kind of like temporary badges. And yeah, I've been really lucky. And it all comes from my blog, the fact that I just wanted to learn how to do something. Because a lot of people say, I wanted like, I'm dying to be a writer. And then you ask them if they're writing and they, they don't have an answer. And you need to write if you want to be a writer. And for me, that was like a big realization. I, I heard that on a podcast. Somebody said, if you tell me you want to be a writer and you're not writing, then I don't believe you. And I thought, gosh, I have this website that I'm not publishing any articles on because I don't know what it's going to lead to. Well, it's going to lead to me being a writer, I guess. And it did. You have to just forge that path. And it's not fun necessarily all the time. There's a lot of trust and a lot of fear and a lot of, am I wasting my time? And the answer might be yes, but it might be no. <laughs> You never know in business. So you started writing and you're like, I don't know where this is going to go. And I, I feel like most people are probably in that situation. But what did building that up to really niche down, maybe write less about eco, figure out where you wanted to go, how you wanted to make a business out of it, how you wanted to make money out of it? What did that journey look like from, oh, OK, I'm, I'm just going to write. So I'm a writer <laughs> to what you have built today. Yeah, there was two years where I just wrote and I didn't know what I, I still, I didn't know what is this going to lead to? What am I going to, I had no idea I was building an email list because everybody said to do that. And meanwhile, there was like, that, that was the least profitable email list of all time because I was writing about all these different things. But for me in hindsight, I can say it was 100% skill building. I was building SEO, writing skills, my voice, my tone, how fast I could write. The fact that right now it takes me, you know, I probably took me a week to write a blog post in the beginning and now it takes me a day to write like a a quality article, you know, that's going to rank on Google. And I have that confidence. For me, it was exclusively skill building. The blog to this day, if you just, if you removed me, like if I got hit by a bus, the my blog would not be a very profitable thing. But it's a portfolio page. People find me there. People reach out. They want to hire me. And that is where, like, I got, for the better part of four years, I've gotten passive, like I've gotten inquiries where people want to hire me through my website. I'm making active income that way. 
it's not the blogging story of like the passive income and the huge traffic, but that was like my kind of online skills university. I went, I would like log in Monday to Friday to writing from nowhere and write and make graphics and make pins and upload them to Pinterest and learn SEO and take a webinar and go to HubSpot Academy where I took so many of their trainings. That was my like gym where I went and built those skills for two years without making any money, was spending money on it, not making any. It was like a long tunnel before I came out the other side. For most people, it's not that long, but I really like to share the two-year thing because it can feel like if it's taking that long for you, then you don't have it. And uh, unfortunately, that's kind of the like quick, quick results uh, culture, especially on TikTok. It's like, I make in, in two weeks, I'm making $1,000 a month from bed. And I like to say my story as much as I can because uh, it took years, literally like plural. You're not a failure if it's not working quickly. You're actually normal. I really appreciate you sharing that. I actually heard a really great quote that resonates with what you're saying and resonated with me the other day. I was watching like a YouTube podcast and he was saying, if you do something that you love for 10 years, you will make money out of it. But mm -hmm. it's not something and, and, you know, it doesn't have to be 10 years per se. Your story is a little bit less than that, but it's just the premises behind it that you have to be passionate and do what you love and just continue doing it and have that consistency. And it something will come out of it eventually. And I love your story that it did. But yeah, it's not that overnight success. So it sounds like you used your blog kind of as a networking as LinkedIn. Is that accurate to get those gigs and positions that you have now? And so once I started offering services like Pinterest management and freelance writing, and I started writing articles that answered questions that people had, like my Pinterest account is caught in the spam block, you know, and then people would Google their problem, find my article and then say, hey, can I pay you to help me with this? And that was my pipeline for years. I didn't look for clients for two years. Maybe I didn't look for any Pinterest clients. My roster was full. I couldn't take anyone else. And that came through my blog, which is not a success story that you hear very often. It's big like ads, 50,000 people a month, you know, affiliate income. There's so much more than a blog can do for you. And it was like the thing that facilitated me developing the skills to be hired by HubSpot or GoDaddy, you know, or getting a book deal. Like I was not the person who could write, like, I, I just wrote a book this year. I was not that person five years ago. I couldn't have done that. And I could not have done it without my website. I am absolutely positive that, like, all of this came from showing up, doing the work, and building skills and getting stronger as a writer. This is interesting because this is, I, I think, a very unconventional way of monetizing your blog. And I actually had one of my questions as you were speaking. I wanted to ask you, how do you make money from a blog? AKA, what are your streams of income from your blog? So it sounds like this is probably a pretty big one or maybe was at one point a pretty big one. But to anybody listening who's interested in blogging, what are the, I know there's more generic income streams, but then what does it look like for you? Maybe if there's some other unconventional ways that you have made money, I don't think I would ever think to you know, have an article about Pinterest and then someone Googles that article and then they become a client. Like that's a very interesting funnel. So what are some traditional and then some unconventional ways that you have used to monetize a blog? I think the really familiar monetization strategies are getting enough viewers that you read ad space. So that's getting like ads on your website and affiliate marketing are the big ones. And I do make so I do make money from affiliate marketing. It's not a lot. It's not anything worth talking about. But uh, yeah, my whole thing has been the the pipeline, the services pipeline. I actually have a whole, I just did a whole training on this because not a lot of people talk about selling 
something expensive through your blog, selling a service. And given that you can start any online business, like in a few hours, if you know what you're doing, it's amazing. Like the opportunity is really big. And some like weird examples of services that you can start, like online babysitting. That was born during the pandemic and people still pay for it. You literally like Zoom up with little kids. They, they're not so little that they'll like waddle away and eat something, you know, like swallow a toy. But older or not, you know, like people pay, like there are people being paid to sit on Zoom with kids and like be all engaging and play with them. And anything that went digital during the pandemic, people are still paying for digital doctor's appointments, virtual golf lessons. That is all something like any skill you have, you could be outsourcing online or, you know, offering online as a service. And then you could be writing articles. How do I find a digital babysitter? What are the questions I should ask? How much does that cost? These are all things that people Google. And I can see it because I have my SEO software. and I can see how many people are Googling a month. There is so much money on the table for people who are willing to offer a service. And you just have to make your packages and create a payment system, which PayPal is really easy. And yeah, I think it's amazing how fast that you can, how quickly you can get this off the ground. Yeah, I'm shocked. Like online babysitting, also online golf. golf what? Lessons. And doctor's so appointments. Like, yeah, I everything. can see doctor's appointments. Yeah. Oh, really? I, I'm like, I don't want to go into your office. Like, just call me. But golf lessons? What? Golf lessons. Everything went virtual during the pandemic. Well, even if you don't see an example, but you want to offer something, you can still offer that as a service. Like, there's a woman named Jen Glatz who is a bridesmaid for hire. She, you pay her and she'll be a bridesmaid in your wedding. And she'll pretend to be an old friend. It's cool. It's like you a bridesmaid drop out. You don't have any female friends. There was an emergency. An extra groomsman appeared. Uh, yeah, you can, and if you Google, bridesmaid dropped out or like, oh, I was just looking at her website. Like uneven bridal party. Then you find her website where she's offering solutions. And one of those solutions is to hire her as a bridesmaid farmer. She'll put on a wig. She'll make up a fake backstory. She is killing it with this business model. And now she trains other people how to do this because it was so successful. Any business model, like as long as it's ethical, I don't see, like there's no, like you can just like, if you can dream it, you can do it. That's a Walt Disney. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. That's so cool. Thanks for sharing that. Okay, so my next question off of that, question <laughs> do you need any other tools other than to know seo like do you need to have an instagram with a bunch of followers or is it truly just understanding and optimizing seo and i, I guess that's you know seo is a beast first first of all you have to understand what that looks like but just getting all of the traffic from there and building an entire business based off of that you can you don't need social media um, it's a lot more reliable to build it from search engines anyway because social media is so you know short like instagram even if you know what you're looking for on instagram it's very hard to find it because the search function is so poor but uh, google could be sending people to your website 24 7 who are potential clients or buyers but it's not the right solution for everyone for i think i'm gonna uh, start freelance writing for a little while seo is probably not the right strategy for you to bring in clients because it takes a long time like you need to learn and you also need to build up authority with your website and google like my one of my clients i i write content for their website whenever i took over their website 18 months ago it took like seven months to get their first article to rank on google and now the last one took 12 hours because google understands their website and the authority behind it and all of that but it doesn't happen quickly so if you're doing something that you see a short term 
look for a different avenue, maybe Upwork on Craigslist if you're based in the U.S. And I think Canada has Craigslist as well. Actually, a lot of places have Craigslist now, probably. Facebook Marketplace, even, or just Facebook groups. I used to get a lot of clients from Facebook groups where people, that was like before I started blogging about Pinterest, I got my clients through there. People would be like, my Pinterest account is broken. Here's it. And I would say, can you drop a screenshot of this thing? And they would post it. And I would say, yeah, you didn't, you need to fix the setting. And then that's where somebody messaged me and said, hey, can I pay you to do this for me? So there's a lot of other avenues if you're not sure about what you're doing with the, what you're offering. I like that you mentioned that because I do know that SEO it's a lot to learn and it also does take a while to build up. So again, going back to what we were saying in the beginning, I think you have to be very serious and passionate about writing and doing this and kind of making that hopefully at some point. It might take a while, as you mentioned, but making it your all at some point. But what would you recommend for people who are looking to get started in SEO on a writing journey? Is there tools that you used or where would you recommend that somebody start looking if, if they are serious? HubSpot Academy is such a good resource. It's a free training, thousands of hours of free training. It's incredible. You can even get certified. They have HubSpot Academy certification. So if you're looking to start offering a skill in addition to learning it for yourself and maybe offering that down the road, it's really incredible. And I would say if you're if you like to write, because that is a requirement, I'm glad you said that, because people who don't like to write probably are not going to end up writing 100 articles for themselves for fun. You do, do need to enjoy it. Um, if you like to write, then, yeah, start a website on Word, WordPress and uh, learn the basics, get a template. It doesn't have to be perfect. My website still isn't perfect. And it's been, what, five, six years. I'm still refining it. You can change everything down the road. But just I would say. Start taking action and getting your content out there so that you can actually learn. Because you can't learn if you keep it all in a Google Doc. You can't see if what you're doing is working. You can't get feedback. You can't have anyone tell you, hey, you're really good at this. Somebody might reach out to you, sit your publishing articles, and someone would say, you know, you see this really well. You teach that really well. You make that make so much sense. And people are going to reflect back to you what you're good at. And I think that's an enormous steering mechanism whenever you're trying to figure out your online business. And it's totally fine to figure it all out as you go. But people are going to be an important part of that in a way that you can't experience if you keep it all private. So I want to talk to you about digital nomad life. But before we dive into that aspect of things, tell me a little bit more about your book, what it's about, when it's coming out. Tell me all of the things. Well, my book is called I'm Still Kind of Scared. <laughs> I'm like not over the fear factor of like having something out there permanently. Um, I've never published something that can't be edited. So that is, yeah, terrifying. But I got a message one year ago from someone on LinkedIn. I was sharing a little bit about the digital nomad lifestyle. Not a lot. It wasn't like my, my main talking point. I was just sharing glimpses. And somebody messaged me and said, hey, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I thought that they were trying to sell me something. I was convinced, like, at a glance, I thought this guy is just going to offer me a coaching program or something. I didn't respond for, like, three weeks. And then I followed up finally, and he said, yeah, I want to talk to you about a book. I'm a public, like, I work for a publishing house. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I totally misread that initial message. And we got on Zoom, and I still was not really comprehending. My husband was like, what does he want? And I said, I think he wants me to introduce him to someone to write this book. I was really detached from, the like, what was happening. I just couldn't comprehend it. And then we got on this call, and he said, yeah, I've been looking for an author, and I found you on LinkedIn, and we want to know if you want to, like, pursue this book deal. And it wasn't an offer to book to you like on the spot. I had to write a proposal and it had to be accepted. But then they reached out within, I think it took a month, uh, end of November. They reached out and they offered me a formal contract. <laughs> 
It was not on my radar. The book is called How to Be a Digital Nomad, Build a Successful Career While Traveling the World, which still feels like crazy. I like smile every time I say it. It's not really clicking still. I finished the book in July and I wrote the whole thing in six months. And then uh, it's going to be published in January and it's going to be out there. And right now I'm getting endorsements, which is a pretty terrifying part of the writing process, (laughs) emailing people and asking them to compliment your work. Hey, will you read this and tell me it's great so that I can print it on the back cover? That's so cool. Okay, I have a few questions about book deals and writing a book. So you said you wrote it in six months. I have never written a book and I am not a huge, huge writer, but I feel like that would be a big (laughs) investment of time. So six months is not that long. What did that look like? Did you just hammer it out? Did you like, I don't know, share all the things, all the processes and what that looks like for writing a freaking book? Yeah. Well, thankfully in the book proposal, I had to outline the whole thing because they needed a table of contents for the book proposal. So I was already at an advantage there that it was already outlined. And then once it was accepted, I broke down like major, major bullet points. Like they were weird sometimes, like computer in Ziploc bag, (laughs) which is one of my big tips. Like do not like always like put your computer in a Ziploc bag. Don't get one of those like water resistant pouches. No, Ziploc bag that stuff up. It's going to get wet at some point. Uh, All these funny like just brain dump into a bullet list. And then I broke the chapters out and my editor pretty much said, yeah, I need the book by the end of June. So write however you'd like. And I'm not good at scheduling that I've never taken on a project that size. So I broke it all down into a spreadsheet like based on the number of words I had to write every week for that many weeks. And then I and I left a month buffer, which was really good because I thought even if I get sick for like a week, I can't make this schedule. It was so aggressive. And I ended up getting in a bike accident. I got a concussion. So thankfully I had that month buffer, which was I can't, like if you ever get a book deal, write in a buffer because that is really nice. You do not know what's going to happen. And I wrote the whole thing and it was really hard. I just like chiseled away. I called it like a termite. I was like a termite eating my way through a redwood. <laughs> I'm just like, I used to say I'm termiting my way through the book. And I was just chiseling through and I ended up getting it all done like within a few hours of the deadline. It was a lot. My husband helped a lot near the end. He was like reading the whole thing, giving me edits. It felt like it took a village there. Like I spent most of June just writing like 12 hour days. It was a lot. It's really scary because you can get the text on the page, but can do you feel good about it is another thing. Like, do you feel like that is like the final thing you ever want to say about putting laptops in Ziploc bags? And that's hard if you are. I just think it's hard for anyone. I'm not a perfectionist, but that was extremely challenging to like walk away from it. It was hard. (laughs) Wow. And so what did it look like for you if you still have your website up, you're getting clients, you're working with clients, and then you have to write a book. Uh, It took a lot of facing things out the right way, um, saying no to everything else that came in and managing my time. I mean, I stopped growing my business. I guess if, if I need to, like, if I had to say where that time came from, I stopped growing my business. I stopped bringing in new clients. Everyone who came in, I pretty much said no to. I couldn't onboard anyone new. I didn't network on LinkedIn for six months. I still haven't gotten back to it because I feel been so drained from the process of writing. And I, everything else stopped. I said no to everything, even if it was small. I also hardly saw my friends. I mean, it was, it took a lot of I had to make the space for that. And it ate away in my weekends. Well, I, I often work weekends. I'm not a big, like, weekend. I've been self-employed for six years, so the weekends don't really mean the same thing that they <laughs> But, yeah, I think I worked seven days a week the entire time. I think my birthday and Christmas were the only days I took off. 
for the where I didn't do anything for the book, really trying to chisel away every day and trying not to hate it. Because if you start to dislike something, then you drag your feet, you don't do as well. And there were days where I really wanted to like hate the process and hate the book and really regret like, signing on. And those were days where I had to like slap myself out of it. And, you know, you can't put your pump the brakes on yourself with like your emotional end of things. At least I, I couldn't in this, that scenario. Wow. And do you have a team behind you who helps you in, in business and in, in book and all of the things? I have my husband. So we're both freelance. We're full time together. So we share the workload. And the book side was, oh, my gosh, I don't even know who's on that team. A lot of people like I, publishing is so weird. You have one point of contact with the publishing house. And then I I'll get, oh, did did Stan tell you this? And I'm like, who is Stan? I've never even met Stan. I don't know what they're doing. I'm glad they had something nice to say. I don't even know. I think there's probably been 10 people. I mean, there was like the ads team, marketing, the book cover, the illustrator, three, four, five editors, a proofreader. It was an incredible. I mean, there's a reason that authors only make a small sliver from the books that they sell. And that's because of how much time other people are putting into it, I think. And I mean, I can't even imagine if I had to do all those roles. I truly don't even know what's happening. It feels a little bit like Santa's workshop back there with like lots of hammering and <laughs> like a flurry of activity, especially now because it's going into production. And I just got an email the other day that I'll be my, the publicist will be reaching out soon. And I didn't even know I was getting a publicist. So I feel very in the dark. <laughs> but uh, that's the benefit of not of being going the traditional route. So if you self-publish, you do that all yourself. And there's nothing wrong with self-publishing. You make a lot more money self-publishing because you take all the profits, but you also invest everything up front. Okay, so let's chat about digital nomad life. You have been nomadic for quite some time. You've written a book on it, so you know your shit. Now <laughs> tell me a little bit about the realities of long-term travel also working for yourself. Time. I like when you said, I don't really, like weekends aren't the same as they used to be. And what I say is every day is a weekend and every day is a work day. Oh, <laughs> and that's, that's so that's good. Yes. That sounds similar. Something I say a lot is like you forgo Monday to Friday for yesterday, today and tomorrow. And it's like really nice and dreamy, but it's also like sometimes you feel like all you've done is work. For a long time, like balance yep. is harder. Everything is harder as a digital nomad. I do feel it's higher risk and higher reward, much higher reward. But you also have the risks like being out of balance whenever you're traveling is hard. If you're not loving life right now, it makes you feel you kind of spiral more quickly because you are looking at something that used to bring you such great joy. Like uh, like you arrive in a new town for a month and you're or a new country for a month and you're supposed to be like loving every minute. And instead, if you just want to sit in bed watching Netflix, that makes you feel like, what's wrong with me? Am I not liking it anymore? Am I broken? <laughs> is traveling not for me? And everyone has those moments where I, I say sometimes, like, you leave the honeymoon phase. You move you move past first impressions with the lifestyle. And I think it's so surprising to people because a lot of people producing content about the digital nomad lifestyle have not moved past the first impressions. Like, they haven't missed a funeral back home. They haven't gone to the hospital by themselves using Google Translate to for all, with the doctors. They haven't had, they haven't lost their income abroad and thought like, what am I going to do? And some people will never experience those lows, but if you do it long enough, you will. Like it will be just, it, it will happen. I think that some people are so surprised by the low points of this lifestyle because it's, the majority of the messaging is coming from people who are 
still in the honeymoon phase, I think, which is a good thing that people are loving it because it is great. Like it is. But there's also diminishing returns. Like your first six months are not are going to feel so much better than like the beginning of year 10, you know, because you've seen it. You've been there. You're, you lost that like wonder because you know what to expect. It's not a bad thing. It's just how life is. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think you really hit the nail on the head there of a lot of people creating content about this lifestyle are still in that phase or maybe not, but that's kind of the phase as sells, unfortunately. And so, and that's why with my content, I try. And unfortunately, Instagram stories is kind of the place where you can, I find you can really be behind the scenes as much as possible. You can create content around it, but is it going to be that well performing? Well, maybe not. Do you want to spend an hour creating that content? (laughs) Maybe not. So on my stories specifically, I try to be, and I'm curious how, how, or if you do this, I try to be very transparent about what it looks like. And sometimes I feel very boring because it's like, oh, let me post another picture of my computer today. Oh, let me post another picture the next day of me on my laptop. Like, it's like, no, no, I, I do travel and I do do all these really cool things, but I am kind of attached to my computer. But at the same time, similar to you, I'm also growing something that I love. So that passion fuels me to continue doing it. You're doing the good work by showing people the boring side, because I think people are often surprised. Oh, people ask, like, what do you describe a day? You know, and I'm like, you're already overhyping it because I wake up and I make coffee and I work from like eight to three and then I close my laptop and then I walk to the grocery store and enjoy being outside a bit and then we come back and we have dinner and we like to like sit out in the evening like we were just in Mexico for 10 weeks we were like on the balcony in the evening and it's a normal work day and it's not like adrenaline filled at least I don't think it is for most people. Some people will. I will say that some people are going to use digital nomadism as a tool to kind of have a working gap year. And they might plan out every month. They might like have a new country every month and they're, they have the highlights that they're going to see in that country. And they are going to attack that with like, like, like it's a really long kind of planning it as if it's a really long vacation. But I think most people who are really just drifting, who don't have a base, um, it's not like that because you're, you're fueling, especially if you have your own business, you're busy growing your business. You just want to like, catch up on the shows that you like to watch and you want to FaceTime with like your sister or you know it's very much normal life just lived in Istanbul for a month or you know in Chiang Mai I don't think it's nearly as kind of like the the day-to-day is very exciting because you feel so I think like profoundly aligned with what you want you wake up and you think this is how I want to spend my life and I think that's the adrenaline moment but it's you're also sitting down to work like you can't be picturing travel and not be picturing work if the if so then you're not picturing digital nomadism you're picturing traveling (laughs) your vacation backpacking it's a wonderful thing if you can save up money and do that Um, if you want to do it long term indefinitely yeah you need to be picturing your laptop because that's what you're going to be doing for 40 hours a week Perfectly, perfectly said. So in you saying this, I'm curious what comes to mind. Some things where you're like, oh, shoot, like this is the nomad, like kind of the downside. So for me, when you were speaking, an example is I did not have for the last two or three years, you know, we're in a new Airbnb every few weeks or every month. And I didn't have a blender. 
I love smoothies. <laughs> if anybody is listening, they know that I need a morning smoothie and then maybe a dinner smoothie and then maybe like a smoothie somewhere in the middle. You know? <laughs> so it was difficult for me because most of the places that we would live in wouldn't have blenders. And I only have one suitcase. And to pack a blender, you know, that, that takes a lot of space. So I recently just found a compact blender and I was oh so gosh. excited and I posted it and I was like very, I posted my LinkedIn like everywhere. I was so excited about it. And I feel like people don't understand the hype, but it's like now I can yeah. have one of my favorite meals whenever I want. And yes, it's going to take a little bit of room in my suitcase, but for me, it's worth it. So what are some of those things that come to mind for you living this lifestyle where you're like, oh, shoot, like this is one of the drawbacks? You nailed it with food. I don't think people think about how emotionally, how how food supports them emotionally so much or their mental health. Like your emotional well-being is so, or maybe I just love food, but I, I do just love food. But I think it's true, especially breakfast. Breakfast is the most cultural meal of the day. What you crave when you wake up, like if you crave like oatmeal instead of pickled goose feet, like that is culture that is so deeply ingrained what you want whenever you wake up and there's no reroute we were rewiring your brain you can say ah fine it's here i'll eat it but there's no rewiring your brain to want that and whenever you wake up every day and start the day eating something that you don't really want to eat it's weird how that like chips away at you feeling like i'm living the life and food in general like my husband does most of the cooking and he is always like coming to an airbnb with dull knives it's like very like if you cook a lot dull knives are an issue so we actually carry a knife sharpener with us now and we sharpen all the airbnb knives whenever we arrive and then before we go for the next guest you know low karma out there but a few like kitchen items make a big difference like i'm vegetarian so i have a lot of issues finding food and it's emotional honestly we were really really sick in mexico we got extremely sick from food poisoning it was not like you're sick for a few days and then you get over it i was on medicine for like two months and <clears throat> not being able to find food that i wanted to eat was really hard because i had like no appetite and then there's like no vegetarian food around and food has an enormous impact it's very weird it's not about i think people think about food and traveling and they think well as long as i have enough money to eat out you know two meals a day then i'm good and you don't know. And also you order it and you don't know what you're getting. Like apple pie, I always call, we, we have the same like, like, well, it's apple pie. Because if you order apple pie in the US and then in the Netherlands, you ordered apple pie, they're different things, but they're both called apple pie. And then if you describe them, it's like, yeah, that's what you describe. But I'm telling you it's different. Like I'm telling you that this is not the apple pie. I want it. And of course, you would never like say that to someone who gave you a piece of apple pie. But whenever you order something and then you're disappointed because it's not what you wanted. And food, you realize how emotional it is, like that not just the foods that you love, but that feeling of familiarity. It's very intense and weird. And I don't know if many people can relate to that, but you're nodding your head. So I know I'm not alone. I am like, yes, all of the things. And I think if you've been nomadic for quite some time, you will be like, hell yes, nodding your head along to that. It's so funny, I have to say. So I'm from Canada. My partner's from Mexico. We travel together and breakfast. You, yes. you, you said it perfect. He wakes up and he's like, I want asado tacos and pineapple and cilantro. And I'm like, I just want eggs and avocado, like maybe some pancakes, but can't find that. We're in Chile. Can't find that in Chile anywhere. But yeah, it's it's so, so true. And I also feel you on the vegetarian. I think that because I'm also I'm a pescatarian and 
it can be tricky sometimes that I don't yeah. like to cook. And so I don't want to cook, but then I don't want to order out all the time. And then when you do order, it's just a lot of like greasy meat. So there are definitely struggles. And I do think food is is a big one. So again, that's why I was so happy I got my blender. Okay, so before we wrap up, is there anything that you want to add that we haven't touched on, whether it be business, digital nomad life, entrepreneurship, any of the things? I would say if anyone's listening and they're wondering if they should become a digital nomad, if they're wondering, is it as good as it seems? It's not as good as it seems. It's better. Honestly, I think this lifestyle, you can never like you make your dreams come true in like a tangible way now, not down the road, not like your legacy after you die. Now you get to see that happen and it's so worth it and it's hard and you won't like what they're serving for breakfast <laughs> and you'll miss things. But if you can figure out how to work, and it makes, it makes, I feel like it just makes you a better person. It's like, it's hard. It kind of crunches you down and turns you into that diamond. And that's so sidled, such a cliche, but really, if you're on the fence and you're still here listening, you should do it because you wouldn't be listening to Nicole every week if you didn't want someone to convince you that it's worth it to go for it. So this is your, we're your cheer squad. It's time. You can do it. Honestly, we are your sign to do it. I love that. And where can people find you and your book once it's out? Ooh, my, I live online at writingfromnowhere.com. And uh, I would love to connect if anyone's active on LinkedIn. That's actually where Nicole and I met uh, on LinkedIn. So if anyone wants to find me on there, I'm sure you'll have mine. And if anyone wants to, yeah, read my book, it's out. You can pre-order it now and it's out in January. It's called How to Be a Digital Nomad. I would be, I would be honored if you uh, read it. And just send me an email and say hi if you have questions or anything. Kayla at writingfromnowhere.com. You can send me an email anytime. I'd love to chat. You've just listened to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. If anything from this episode resonated with you, I would appreciate if you share this podcast on your socials. And of course, be sure to tag me. And don't forget to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me on this global citizen journey, and I'll see you in the next episode.